0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about some occupations and their relationship Uh, to domestic abuse. But before we jump into that topic, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. You know, PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and if you are benefiting from the things you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. It's just full of resources that I know will be helpful to you as you attempt to address the problem of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Peaceworks University, you can find that information at chrismoles.org. Okay, so today's episode, we're going to address uh, two questions. We're going to try. So let me read through those. Uh, I'm, I'm combining them because of their similarities, but they are different. And so we've gotten questions about these in the past. And so today, what I want to try to do uh, is at least just give you my perspective. Uh, on where these uh, questions come from and and kind of some, some direction here. So uh, it'll make sense here in a moment, I hope. The first question, do you have any wisdom to offer to helpers serving families in the military? Military lifestyle and frequent moves makes it easy for an abusive husband to avoid accountability and difficult for a wife to find and build relationships with people. Who could offer her support? It's a very good question, and it kind of hits on a subgroup of individuals that unfortunately make up a significant number of uh, domestic abuse cases. And so I want to talk here in a moment about military complications. Uh, But but before we jump into that, I want to combine that with another group of individuals. Somewhat similar, Uh, this was an interesting question that came in related It's been observed by many, the questioner says, that abuse can be common within those in law enforcement because these officers are trained to control people and situations. Has this been your experience as well? If so, would it be beneficial to increase domestic abuse training with local police departments to educate these men and women on how their professional training can easily lend itself to abusive patterns within interpersonal relationships? Those were... Two really good questions about two subgroups of individuals that we've talked about briefly, but I'm not sure we've really addressed thoroughly. And obviously, a, a podcast isn't going to be exhaustive when it comes to to this topic. But I think the questioners are really hitting a point that we in the work have seen, especially individuals who have worked in the criminal aspect or who have worked in the investigative aspect of domestic abuse work. And that is a surprisingly high rate of domestic violence and domestic abuse happening within these populations. There's there's studies out there. You're free to, to look at those more so for the military. Uh, and I've got, I can only give you kind of speculation on why that's the case, you know, but I, I do think the military has its own problems, but there are going to be, um, some issues or some ways in which researching, studying, getting samples and control groups out of the military is going to be a little easier than, say, law enforcement. Uh, One is the size of the military, its accessibility versus local police departments. You're going to be able to get larger groups in your samples, um, and then there's going to be cultural differences at local levels. But there there are some studies at least – I was glancing this morning, and I came across at least 30 that are out there, plus meta-analysis that are taking a lot of those studies and building some conclusions. One of those larger um, studies that I found made some interesting conclusions, and I'll just throw that out there, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the military. Um, They found in the overwhelming research they looked at, let me see if I've got it. I took some notes here. 28 studies. They included 28 studies in their meta-analysis. They found that men were more likely to offend than women and that veterans had a higher rate of offense than active duty. And If I could just pause and anecdotally throw something out there, we in the, the criminal corrections world and in the probation world saw that as well. And obviously, we weren't working with as many active-duty military personnel. There's certainly more potential for things like cover-ups and and um, you know pushing things aside inside an institution, right? So there is a little bit more visibility outside an institution. And I'm not throwing accusations. I'm just saying there are reasons why we might may not see as as higher rates on active duty. Not to mention distance as individuals could be deployed and so on. But uh, anecdotally, again, from our own experience, one of our largest subgroups in the probation world uh, when I served there was veterans and in particular combat veterans who had a very, very, very difficult time. uh, These men did kind of reintegrating into uh, the world in which they lived. And we're going to touch on that here in a second, but I did find it interesting and somewhat affirming that these studies showed that veterans had a higher rate uh, than say active duty personnel. And then among those active duty, you had a larger portion of these offenses happening in military settings uh, than in say, not civilian, uh, more like uh, clinical or sterile settings where it was less uh, military oriented. And those were interesting finds. I think with, um, with the veterans piece and I couldn't find a percentage different studies showed different percentage gaps, but again, I can come back and say from experience, I think among the veterans that we worked with and they were the largest subpopulation that I worked with in the secular environment, a high number of them combat veterans, a high number of them having co-occurring issues. And I, I think that's fair to say without divulging too much information, but I think if you look at, the VA's um, response, which unfortunately is not great, and then you look at the criminal response, which I think is much more significant, funding that's been going towards behavioral health centers, things like veterans court that has been popping up around the country to deal with um, mental health, substance abuse, um, problems like that among our veteran population. I think we could see that veterans have a high risk of committing acts of domestic abuse. Of course, that's not causative, but it could be contributive. And so I could say to the questioners, um, to the question that was given, with number one, yes, we have seen this among veterans in particular, but it's also a higher rate among military personnel than, say, the general population. And that's concerning. And I think your question regarding military lifestyle is a big indicator and something that should be communicated. And this is what I'm getting at. I've had several conversations with veterans, for instance, in particular combat veterans, where we have delineated, distinguished between how someone treats a partner, their wife, and their children versus how someone treats an enemy combatant. And granted, you know, the first initial glimpse is, well, of course, I'm treating them better than I did, you know, enemy combatants or uh, targets, right? But there still was kind of this underlying worldview of how we address problems, how we assess how we assess problems and how we address problems. And much of that training was bleeding into their interpersonal relationships. But then beyond that, was aspects of trauma that were also um, limiting individuals' uh, self-control, their aspects of um, behavior, and it was all coming to a head into these you know, destructive patterns. Not to mention that, again, with the veteran population, we don't do a great job in this country reintegrating people back into normalcy, uh, into a normal everyday life, and the structures that we do have are often overburdened. Especially when it comes to aspect of mental health and and drug addiction, the the questioner rightly brings up not just the veteran issue, but active military personnel, the lifestyle of constant moves, uh, consistent deployments, especially in recent history. Like in in recent history, not so much currently, but um, you know, we were in active combat areas. Our military were for years and years and years, and still are in many ways. But uh, as you recall, you know, from nine eleven until just recently, uh, most of our military personnel were being deployed on a regular basis. And there is, even within that structure, a lot of movement, whether it's related to um, missions and, and combat or not, whether it's moving from this location to this location, uh, this base, to that base, to this country, right, to that country, as they're, they're quite frequently subject to moves. And so the questioner is correct. It's difficult to establish accountability. And I'll add one other piece to it. Our governmental institutions, criminal institutions, and even the military is far more interested in criminal activity um, and adjudicating and punishing uh, criminal activity than say treating and addressing non criminal activity. There are resources available. Most bases, most branches, most um, bases have access to sexual abuse task force, to abuse resources, but most of the resourcing is geared towards things like sexual abuse, which is we need that, right? Or physical abuse, which again is something that we need. So I would say your concerns are correct. As I've worked with military personnel, I think one of the things we like to do or have done in the past is we like, again, a team-based approach where individuals can get help for various aspects of their struggles. Yes, we want to hold people accountable. Yes, we want to see them change, but also we want to get them in good support system. That's going to help with, uh, things like trauma, uh, things like, um, Substance abuse, family services that are going to help the entire family, um, as opposed to just, you know, just stop it. I mean, that's certainly something we want to see. but We want to be able to address the heart, and I think that goes to the the Leo question, which um, brings up the aspect of training, which I think is very interesting because with military personnel and veterans, we've we've addressed this idea of. How you interact with your family has to be very different than how you were trained to interact with, um, with individuals, with even civilians and enemy combatants. And the same is true for law enforcement officers. And I do think there is something to the question. I think there's a, there's a strong urge or temptation to treat our families like suspects as opposed to taking that, the badge and the label off as before you step into the door. Um, and the questions interestingly worded that it's been observed. And I think you're going to find less research on this, although there are some studies out there, but I think most of us in the work have definitely seen the stress of, um, law enforcement. And then also some of the privileges of law enforcement bleed over into family life to the point that individuals, again, treat their family like suspects and, uh, violate them in destructive and abusive ways, uh, rather than finding ways to bifurcate, um, their life. And, you know, this is a conversation for another day. And I've had this with some law enforcement friends. You know, I miss the days of policing. Like we used to use the word police and I know language just changes, but and I'm a big word guy. But I don't know. I think when I think of policing, I think of something very different than enforcing laws. And when I think of peace officers, I think of something different than policing. And I do believe there are some worldview changes that could happen at the local level in particular, where we just take a breath and law enforcement agencies determine not to train their people how to violate other folks I shouldn't say violate their rights but how to trick them or how to manipulate them but simply police what did we observe what did we see like how does that you know affect um, how does that relate to the statute in place how can I work with citizens to to make sure everybody is safe as opposed to some training that focuses on how can I, write a citation or how can I generate revenue? And I know that's kind of a hard thing to say, but I do think there are some law enforcement officers that have been jaded by that and can really get into a pattern of really seeing us versus them. And I know that citizens contribute to that as well, but again, we're talking about Leos here. So I do think conversations should happen uh, to the questioner's point in those trainings, not just, and this is why I bring all that up, Because I think there's tons of domestic abuse training happening at the law enforcement level, but not just how to determine the predominant aggressor in someone else's case, or how to make an arrest in that case, or how to gather evidence so that it's uh, prosecutable in that case, how to fill out the proper reports in that case. But I don't think there's a lot of, let's talk about us as humans, beyond the badge, we're not just badges, we're people. And how we're interacting with people and how different people deserve different responses, right? We do act differently in front of the judge, but how do we act in front of the citizen and how do we act when we go home? And I, I don't know, apart from really good officers, and I do know some of these guys, really good officers who are willing to have honest and open conversations with the men that they supervise or the women that they supervise. As opposed to like training on this subject, you know, maybe there is, I don't, I don't know of any, and again, I'm not in the, I'm not in that world as much as I used to be, but, uh, it would be beneficial. I would think if more mature officers would talk to young officers about, you know, this is what respect looks like in the courtroom on the street and in the home, cause there are, those are three very different venues and respect will look very differently, right, uh, for a law enforcement officer in those three venues. And if we could get to a place where families, wives, and children uh, were were treated well, that's that's really the goal. So, yeah, we see that. Um, I do believe that police departments receive a great deal of training on abuse. I would say that ninety. of it guessing, you know, would be on the how to work a case of domestic violence, uh, as opposed to, you know, guys with that being said, we need to take some time to talk about your own heart and your own home. Um, I don't know that that happens very often unless it's from a really good officer who communicates that, um, so professional training, I don't know. Maybe there is some, and I wouldn't be surprised. There, there are more and more of that is happening, and I would love to see even more of that among community-based agencies, um, especially when it comes to uh, law enforcement officers and military personnel. So, yeah, to, to answer the heart of the question, yeah, there there are statistically uh, higher rates of aspects of coercion and control among um, certain members of the military and certain members of the law enforcement community. We could say that it's related to their training, but it's ultimately related to the individual's heart. We could say it's contributed by trauma as both occupations experience a high level of traumatizing events, uh, but of course it's not caused by trauma. We could say that there are aspects of the institutions in which they involve that make it Uh, easier to abuse in some ways, Um, although there are also some burdens that come along with that. So what do we do? I guess in those moments, it's like anything. Occupationally, as we're learning someone's history, as we're gathering data, we're going to want to just make a note of an individual's involvement in certain occupations and, and press into it a little bit. And that's why I I use those statements, you know, well, have you ever treated your wife like a suspect or like a target? And those are honest questions. And if an individual can be honest in their answers, I think we can find some solutions and help them see that while that may be effective to some degree in your occupation, it's inappropriate uh, in your relationships. So uh, more to be said on that, more more thoughts to be given there, but I think that'll be a good place to, that'll be a good place to settle in for today. We appreciate you guys for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. We're going to continue our conversations in the future, so be sure to tune in. If you like what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, if you're benefiting from the things we're talking about, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, follow, let the platform you're listening on know that you appreciate uh, the PeaceWorks podcast. Thanks again, guys. Till next time, God bless.